This is 1988 Tops, where every card has a story to tell. Your hosts are David McKellis and Matt Kuzma. Let's play ball. Welcome back to 1988 Tops. David, what's our card for this week? Our card for this week is Don Sutton, number 575, pitcher for the California Angels. Don Sutton, 575. Those who saw the news that Don passed away this week might understand that that brought Don to the top of the queue today. Um, So rest in peace, Don Sutton. And what are we going to talk about with Don today? Don Sutton had a remarkable career of consistency, 23 seasons in a Hall of Fame career. And he's a real link between a bygone era, uh, his first season He was the fourth starting pitcher in a rotation with Don Drysdale and Sandy Koufax. And his last season was 1988 when he pitched with Oral Hershiser in another great Dodgers team. Again, with some of these guys where the writing on the back of the card is so small, there's no way we can possibly hit every major moment of Don's career. This might be a slightly longer episode, and we're going to try to focus on a few important moments and uh, and talk about Don's look, the evolution of Don's look, Don in, in pop culture as well. And we'll have a visit to Brian in the RBI corner. Fantastic. I'm especially excited by the 1970s era game shows that are going to come up on the show later. So let's go to the front of the card. Don is in pitching motion. You can see the shortstop behind him. What I would notice right away about Don Sutton here. With the, with the nice white uniforms, blue and red trim. But he's got this poofy gray hair coming out of both sides. It looks like, to me like the spitting image of Bill Walton, if Bill Walton were about a foot shorter. I think it makes him look a little bit like a clown. <laughs> yeah, I can see the bozo resemblance. That is part of Don's signature look was his perm. We will get to that a little bit later when Don went from a straight-haired gentleman to a permed gentleman (laughs) in the mid-70s. Don kept that look going, I believe, for the next 45 years. (laughs) Uh, Here at the 1988 Tops Podcast, we appreciate commitment to a look. Don committed to the look. Anything else about the front of this card? You have a guy who is 42 years old at this point. Looking much older than those 42 years, but still doing it, still throwing. Maybe looks like he's playing in a rec league at this point, but he was still a a successful pitcher well into his 40s. Not the most athletic build uh, here, but typical of the age. So great. Let's go to the back of the card then. This is the kind of card that when you're a kid, you pick it up and you look on the back and it's it's just too much. It's there's no fun fact. There's nothing fun here. There's just years and years and years of stats. You've got some years where Don Sutton led the league. I think this also shows the the big numbers of 300 plus wins, 3000 plus strikeouts, goals that every pitcher aimed to hit. Don at this point was still in the league and maybe a little bit on the downward slope of his career and By the end of 1988, he was retired, but he had compiled ridiculous statistics. (laughs) Absolutely. So we'll talk about some of those in a second. But at the top of the card, Don's 6'1", 190, right-handed thrower, 
Signed by the Dodgers in 1964 prior to draft. Right away saying how old he is, how long he's been doing this before there was a Major League Baseball draft. Born April 2nd, 1945 in Clio, Alabama and a home in Laguna Hills, California. He was born to sharecroppers. His parents lived in a tar paper shack in Clio, Alabama and moved to Florida when he was young. His father worked in logging and construction, and Don, throughout his career, would credit his father for his work ethic. He grew up in a very religious Christian household. He played baseball, basketball, and football, but gave up everything but baseball after his sophomore year of high school to focus on pitching. Don said all he ever wanted to be was a pitcher. He was voted most likely to succeed at J.M. Tate High School. I think that he probably lived up to that. He led his high school baseball team to two state finals in a row. He won one and lost one. He wanted to go to the University of Florida, but they didn't want him. He wasn't apparently good enough for for the University of Florida, so instead he went to a community college, played one year, and then played in a summer league in 1964. And by the end of that summer, scouts were interested. The scouts told him that if he went back to school, he might be able to be a high draft pick, maybe he'll get a better signing bonus. But signing prior to the draft gave him an opportunity to pick which team he wanted to play for. And he knew that the Dodgers had a long history of training pitchers, and so he signed with the Dodgers for a $15,000 signing bonus and a school stipend. Not bad. $15,000 in 1965 is a more than $100,000, maybe 125000 in today's dollars. So no small thing for a community college kid after one year. And particularly one with Don's background and coming from very, very little. He quickly became a top prospect in the Dodgers organization. His first minor league season, he went 23-7 and combined between A and AA and had 239 strikeouts in 249 innings. He was 20 years old and oh, wow. had really set himself up for, for success. That's awesome. So 1966, he enters spring training with the Dodgers and, and gets started right away. Yeah, he didn't expect that he would make the team. This was a team that had Sandy Koufax, Don Drysdale, Claude Osteen, who were the starters in the 1965 World Series that the Dodgers won. So he's coming into a World Series champ, but Sandy Koufax and Don Drysdale held out for better contracts, and there was space for Don to kind of make a name for himself in spring training. But he really thought that he was only going to be around until Koufax and Drysdale came back, and then he would get sent back to the minors. Fortunately for Don... Walter Alston, who was the Dodgers manager, liked him and kept him around and made him the fourth starter on that team. So he's 21 years old and the fourth starter on the defending World Series champ, Los Angeles Dodgers. Starting 35 games in his rookie year, pitching more than 200 innings and going 12 and 12, an ERA under three, it's pretty incredible. At age 20, he was able to do that right away. So Sutton had great command. He changed speed. He was very accurate, but he was never overpowering, even though he would strike out 200 batters five times in his first eight seasons. He had a very successful rookie season, 209 strikeouts, only 52 walks. And he also started a streak here. If you look at this card, he 
one time in his career started fewer than 30 games. And the only and that's the the season where he started fewer than 30 games was 1981 and it was only because of the strike. He uh was rarely injured and didn't go on the disabled list until his final season in 1988. So finishing up that rookie year, his Dodgers make the World Series. Did he play at all in those playoffs and World Series? Unfortunately, Don was unable to play due to a pulled muscle in his arm, which for most of the season he pitched through, but he was unable to play in the playoffs. And the Dodgers at this point in the playoffs were basically on a three-man rotation as they had been in 65. The Dodgers were swept in the 66 World Series, so Don didn't get a ring that year. Bummer. So after 1966, Sandy Koufax retires, and understandably, the Dodgers drop off a bit for the next couple seasons in 67-68. So while the Dodgers have their ups and downs, Don is okay. He's winning about as many games as he's losing. He has ERAs that are pretty average. But all of this changes in 1971 as he takes a look at his mechanics and changes something. Don had had a three-quarters delivery and switched to a more over-the-top delivery to put less stress on his elbow. And that led to a great run where Don had some of the best seasons of his career. Between 1971 and 78, he went 139 and 82 with a 2.86 ERA. This is where we get to the, the bygone era of pitchers. 101 complete games in those seasons, <laughs> 34 of them shutouts. He made four all-star games and was in the top five in Cy Young voting five times. Through this time, the Dodgers were one of the better teams in baseball, and they made three World Series during that stretch, and Don was a big part of that. Yeah, 1972, it looks like, his was his first all-star game and best season of his career. According to Don, he said that this was his best year, and he started the season with an eight-game winning streak and also closed out the season winning five with five wins in his last five decisions, all five of them complete games, three shutouts in a row. And one of those was an 11-inning three-hitter. That's the kind of pitcher that Don Sutton was. Wow. 19-9 and nine with a 2.08 ERA is how he wraps it up. So the statistically the best of his career and 18 complete games and yeah they just don't they don't do that anymore (laughs) they don't make them like that anymore that's for sure and the next couple seasons were very similar 18 and 10 in 73 and 19 and 9 again in 1974 so he finishes out that season on a 13 and 1 run including a win that clinches the nl west for them and the dodgers end up back in the world series yes and don pitched in game two of that world series And got a win. That was the only win that the Dodgers got as the A's won their third World Series in a row. Mm. So moving forward to 75 and 76, the Dodgers finished second both years to the Reds. But this is, importantly, the time period when Don's hair changes, David. I've included links here to the 1975 tops and the 1976 tops. And you can compare pre-perm Don Sutton to permed Don Sutton. Don was consistent throughout his career on the mound, and so I don't think that the hair had anything to do with it, but 
1975, he went 16 and 13. In 1976, he went 21 and 10, his only 20 win season. So maybe the power of the perm. Yeah, reached for reached for comment. His his manager Walter Austin said, as long as he gets batters out, he can wear pink curlers or shave it all off. I don't care. It kind of reminded me of when Mike Brady and the Brady Bunch got mm. a got a perm. And so we'll we'll include that picture for comparison as well, I think. I'm pulling that up right now. Oh, yeah, that's a lot of hair. It's a lot of hair. It looks good. So not only did this season mark an end of an era for Don's hair, an end of a hera, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> but it also marked the end of an era for the Dodgers. Walter Alston retired after 23 seasons. Don Sutton said that Alston was the most secure, best man I ever met. He also praised Alston for confronting problems behind closed doors and said that Don, as an introvert, was similar to Walter Alston. So they they meshed well and got along. Well, that's that sounds, that sounds like a great relationship. And so I'm sure when the new manager comes in, they'll pick someone similar, someone quiet and reserved. Uh, let's see. Checking the notes here. Oh, it's Tommy Lasorda. <laughs> yes, Tommy <laughs> Lasorda had a slightly different not, take. <laughs> yeah, not not the quiet, introverted type Tommy Lasorda, as we discussed at length in the Tommy Lasorda episode earlier this season. And Don wasn't happy about it. He didn't like Tommy's showbiz approach, and he wasn't viewed as an ally of Tommy Lasorda. He later expressed some regret that they didn't ever sit down and talk through their personalities and explain their personalities to one another. He was quiet and reserved and didn't have close friends in the locker room. He called himself nothing more than a semi-polished hick. He was always honest with the media and spoke his mind and would get in trouble with teammates because he wasn't afraid to say some stuff. Imagining that we're going to see some fireworks later. Yes, but even with those light difficulties, Tommy always trusted Don to throw the ball. He trusted him to take the mound every four or five days. He was also uh, crafty, I think is a nice way of putting it. Opponents claimed that he doctored the ball, which led umpires to check on him. Uh, unlike Joe Necro, they never found anything on Don. <laughs> But Sparky Anderson, in particular, would accuse Don and tell an umpire to go check Don's pockets. And umpires searching his pockets would find notes saying, not here, or you're getting warmer, (laughs) or ask Sparky, he knows everything. And when he was asked about using Vaseline on a ball, he said, it's not a foreign substance, it's made right here in the U.S. of A. So these first couple years, right away, Lasorda's team's got good results 1977 they beat the phillies in the nlcs and make it to the world series again and don had don sutton years he went 14 and 8 in 1977 with a 3.19 era he started the all-star game he got the win and won the mvp award and that was his last all-star game appearance but the world series in 1977, while ultimately disappointing for the Dodgers, was very good for Don. He pitched well in Game 1 at Yankee Stadium, which was a huge highlight for him, going into Yankee Stadium as a starting pitcher in the World Series, and he ended up getting a no decision in Game 1. 
He did get a complete game victory in Game 5, only to have the Yankees win Game 6 to win the World Series. But then they get back in 1978. Yes, and where in 1977, Don had a great NLCS and World Series. In 78, Don was bad in the postseason. He went 0-3 with a 7.13 ERA in the NLCS and World Series combined. So again, no World Series ring for Don after 78 either. And in 78, some of the... Some of these personality issues that we talked about, some of these clashes start to finally bubble up. Yes, and roll the brawl theme song. Unfortunately, in this case, we don't have video and audio to go to because this was a fight in the locker room. Don was not afraid to be honest in the press, and he said that Reggie Smith was the best player on the Dodgers. And he may have been right. The stats bear it out. Reggie Smith was a very good baseball player and very good on the 77 and 78 Dodgers. But Steve Garvey was viewed as the guy in L.A. at the time. He had already won an MVP. He was a good time, smiley guy, all-American. And this interview got condensed down in an L.A. paper to make it seem like Don was being overtly anti-Steve Garvey. And Steve confronted him in the locker room. A reporter described it as concentrated fury amounting to an almost homicidal desire to tear one another apart. Good Lord. That's awfully dramatic. How many, how many bones were broken? There were some scratches. And oh, wow. Steve Garvey got poked in his eye. So he had a bright oh red eye. And while dramatic, Don and Steve Garvey were clearly shaken by this. There was a tearful apology that Don gave. And, and he said that he hadn't been living up to his Christian faith. And that he was, um, that having caused bad feelings in Steve Garvey is the same as having said it. And while he didn't say that Reggie, he didn't say anything bad about Steve Garvey, the fact that Garvey felt that he was being disrespected, Don apologized for that. I think that's awfully big of him to do. And he may have been forced by management to do so. Maybe he was mad about this comment in the media, but maybe he was jealous of Don Sutton starting to get heavy airtime on the match game during this same period. While Steve Garvey was Mr. Clean in the media, Don Sutton was on the match game. He seemed like a real aw shucks kind of guy on these. I don't know if... Did you watch any of these videos, Matt? Oh, yeah. I watched the videos. The The game itself is a little bit before my time, but my childhood was heavily devoted to game shows. I used to have a podcast about Wink Martindale. I don't do that anymore. Uh, you know, card sharks, etc. But it is... It's been a long time obsession of mine. We've got a couple links we'll put in the show notes. We'll put one of these episodes in here. So you can look at the match game and see Don Sutton on here. Think about it as two players playing Cards Against Humanity with a panel of six celebrities who are then trying to kind of match your fill-in-the-blank guess with. Matt, your use of the word celebrity is dubious. Uh, I, I disagree. I disagree because on the game show level... Richard Dawson was one of these celebrities. He ended up to then host the Family Feud. 
and becoming a game show host itself is is a celebrity. One of the others, Betty White, very frequent guest on the match game. Betty White still kicking at 99 years old as of now. Betty White, um, I think, is the Don Sutton of celebrities. <laughs> She's consistent I mean, for a very long period of time. For like forever. For like, 80 years. Maybe Don Sutton is the Betty White of baseball. You should also watch this episode because Similar Hair is on one of my favorite game show celebrities of this time. And that's Charles Nelson Riley, who is best known from people in our generation as someone on the Hollywood Squares for many years when the show was reincarnated in the 1980s. Uh, but yeah, in the 1970s, yeah, he was just basically a professional game show contestant. Although he was also an actor on stage and screen. But that's how I always knew him best. Don Sutton, meanwhile, is wearing the most brown I've ever seen outside of uh, Andy Hawkins' San Diego <laughs> Padres jersey. He's wearing like a brown leisure suit with a very wide collar He's also bronzed and has this very poofy brown perm. He is perfectly cast as a Southern boy who's now on a baseball team playing in Los Angeles and is just a down-home guy. You know what you're going to get from him. And he's witty. He's got good guesses and good answers on the match game. He was also on an episode of Fantasy Island. As well as Ooh. in a show called Wonder Bug. I've never heard of the show, but it's about a talking dune buggy. And it's made by Sid and Marty Croft. Best known for their psychedelic children's programming. Good job by Don Sutton's agent. And good job, Don. So 1979, Don continues his winning ways. He ends up winning his 210th game to become the Dodgers' all-time leader, beating... Uh, Don Drysdale's record, and then moving into 1980, this is where he is the league leader in the ERA, uh, 2.21, but that ends his career with the Dodgers, David. After 15 seasons, Don left the Dodgers. He still holds the team record for wins with 233 starts, innings pitched, strikeouts, and shutouts. He said he reached a stage with the Dodgers where they really didn't appreciate what he was de delivering, and he didn't appreciate how nice it was to play there. Mm. Which was probably said much later in his career, because I think at this point there was quite a bidding war for Don, and he got a pretty big payday to go to Houston. So that first year with the Astros, 1981, he misses the playoffs, uh, we talked about those playoffs a couple of weeks ago with Joe Necro, but due to injury, he misses the playoffs. And, and But the Astros, in those playoffs, they lose to the Dodgers. The Dodgers then proceed to win the World Series the year after Don leaves the team. Ah! So disappointing. He came into the league in 1966, the year after the Dodgers won the World Series. He leaves the Dodgers the year before they win their next one. So he had some bad timing in L.A. and fit perfectly into that period of futility. So 1982, Don, although we've called him, you know, unassuming, introverted, boy, he knows how to stick his foot in his mouth. He tells a reporter 
that he didn't want to live in Texas? Yeah, he told uh, it was an L.A. Times article. He would like to finish his career on the West Coast rather than live in Texas, though he didn't consider <laughs> signing with the Astros to be a mistake. Yikes. David, I got to say that having lived in Texas, I would say if someone who was playing for, for my team that I supported said that, oh, one day I would like to retire in California rather than to live in Texas, to me, them was fighting words. So he would not be on my team for much longer. Particularly a guy who had just signed a contract that would pay him almost a million dollars a year. Uh-huh. Fans weren't happy to hear that. He won seven straight, and he ended up 13-8. and eight. But David, don't mess with Texas. That's I just got to tell you. So he did not finish the season in 1982 on that team. The Astros were not in contention, and Don was traded to the Milwaukee Brewers. That turned out well for him. and gets a, another chance to be on a winner. He ends up pitching in the most important game of the season for the Brewers, the final game of the 1982 regular season the brewers played a four-game series at baltimore and they lost the first three to fall into a tie for first place in the al east so going into that final game you have don sutton versus jim palmer which is just a great pitching matchup don threw eight innings and gave up only two runs and the brewers put up 10 and so don pitched in the the game that won the al east And Don got a win in Game 3 of the ALCS to continue the Brewers' season. So you have a 37-year-old Don Sutton pitching lights out in the playoffs. Unfortunately, that Brewers team got to the World Series, and Don had a World Series to forget. He gave up 11 runs in two starts, and the Brewers lost to the Cardinals. Another World Series loss. This is... This is getting sad, David. But Don enjoyed his time in Milwaukee. He said Milwaukee was the greatest place I ever played. And I love Milwaukee, so I'm with Don on that. He stays in Milwaukee for 1983 and 1984. The first half of 1985, he is with the A's and then is traded back to Los Angeles, but not the Dodgers. He ends up with the Los Angeles Angels, or I should say the Anaheim Angels, or I think at the time they were the California Angels. Traded in September, and he was 40 at the time. The Angels didn't make the playoffs in 85, but Don gets closer to 300 wins. He starts 1986, five wins away from 300. So here he is sitting on 295, just needs five wins more, starts the year without a win in this first five, and was bad with an ERA over nine, but turns it around, gets it under control, gets all the way up to 299 with a shutout against Tom Seaver right on the brink of 300. Then what happens? He ends up getting his 300th win at home in front of a big crowd in Anaheim, and he throws another complete game. So 40-year-old Don Sutton, he threw three complete games in 1986. You have a note here that later that season, he ended up facing Phil Necro. And this was the first time that 300 game winners had faced one another since 1892. And who gets the win? Neither of them. Ah! Don did play for a winner that year. The Angels won the AL West. And Don had a 15-11 and 11 record after that slow start. He was able to really turn it around. He pitched in two games in the ALCS and only gave up two runs in nine innings. Unfortunately, the Angels lost to the Red Sox. 
but winning the division earned the team a spot in RBI baseball. And we know that's what really matters. With that, let us go to the RBI baseball corner with Brian. We're back in the RBI Baseball Corner with Brian. Brian, welcome back to the show. This week we have Don Sutton and the first player from the California Angels. So how is this team in RBI Baseball? So you can't talk about the Angels without talking about their uniforms. When I think of the Angels from this era, I think of that classic clean white jersey with the pointy font. Maybe it's because of a positive association with Naked Gun <laughs> and knowing the uniforms they, they that they're wearing during that movie. But instead, what we get in RBI baseball, it's like a cobalt blue and chartreuse. They, they look like the Boise State Broncos, and I think it's unappealing to play with them on that basis alone. But setting aesthetics aside, they're actually a pretty good team. They have a very balanced lineup, very consistent lineup, especially after a few substitutions. Pretty good mix of righties and lefties at the point. Play, probably about a half notch below Detroit and Boston, but they may have the best player in the game in Naked Gun star Reggie Jackson and also a cult hero in Rupert Jones. Their starting pitching has very heavy endurance. It's uh, Mike Witt and Don Sutton are the two starters. Their entire pitching staff is righties, though. So if you're playing a team like Detroit, who has a lot of lefty hitters, you might be at a bit of a disadvantage. And sadly, also Enrico Palazzo doesn't make the squad, which is a, a real <laughs> bummer. I would have loved to have uh, seen how they reduced his name down to six characters. That would have been quite entertaining. <laughs> how is Don Sutton as the player on the squad? Well, you don't get his beautiful flowing locks of hair, which is really <laughs> too bad because by this point in his career, you know, RBI baseball, this is based on the 86 season in this case, the 86 Angels. Uh, by that point, he'd gone from looking like Art Garfunkel to looking like founding father John Adams. <laughs> so it would have been wonderful to see that white mane just, just contrasted against the cobalt blue and chartreuse uniforms. So you don't get that. What you do get is a player with really misleading stats. Um, he's listed in the game as having a 118. ERA. There was no point at time which Don Sutton had a 118 ERA. And on top of that, it doesn't really correspond with his skills in the game either. He's a pretty mediocre starter. He has very good endurance, and I guess that's merited. He threw 207 innings in 1986. But he has the second slowest fastball in all of RBI baseball behind only his teammate, Doug Corbett. Uh, I was doing some research for this podcast and playing with the Angels, and my fastballs with Tom Sutton were consistently 81 miles per hour. So that's a pretty easy pitch to hit. So is he worth playing at all? I think he's probably good in a relief role or maybe as a second starter in a series. Uh, you're probably better off starting Mike Witt. I will say that Don Sutton is pretty good against other right-handed batters. You can kind of move the ball across the plate and get the outside corner. And he's effective against righties in that way. But he's probably your second-best starter in the Angels and probably not worth starting off a one-game series with. Brian, you mentioned Don's hair. Aside from founding fathers and Art Garfunkel, any other favorite Perms from the 1970s? Oh, perms from the 1970s, Scott. I thought you guys hosted a podcast about perms from the 1970s. That was one of the other ones. Yes, other than Steve Jeltz. <laughs> other than Steve Jeltz. Uh, you know, I have to say, having been born in 77, I believe, Matt, you were also born in 77. Um, I missed the 70s. You know, my first sports memories were probably from 1981. And that was when beards came into fashion. So if we have a, a, a time of talking about beards from the early 80s, I can probably relay good Dan Fout stories for you. We have a lot of Milwaukee Brewers left to go, so we will definitely talk about facial hair. 
And we're back from the RBI Baseball Corner. Thank you, Brian. David, you know, 1987 looks like was the highest ERA of his career. He threw 4.7 ERA, but he ends up on the 1988 Dodgers. And as we've gone through this entire story, it's World Series loss after World Series loss after World Series loss. Please tell me he finally has a triumphant 1988 World Series win with the Dodgers. This has to have a a storybook ending, right? Unfortunately, Don didn't have anything left. He, (laughs) He pitched in 16 games, but he had a sprained elbow. And it put him on the disabled list for the first and only time in his career. Wow. Which, in a 23-season career, to only go on the disabled list once is amazing. Just amazing. At some point in the 88 season, he talked to the Astros about a possible future assistant GM role. And the Dodgers GM, Fred Clare, said that that broke league rules as he was already under contract with the Dodgers. So he ends up having this falling out with the Dodgers. He's on the injured list, and the Dodgers released him in August. Oh, man. That team ended up winning the World Series, and Don wasn't on the team. I did read that Fred Clare made sure that Sutton and his wife accompanied the team when they visited the White House after the World Series. I haven't found whether or not he got a ring, I would hope that he did, but that has just got to be disappointing. <laughs> and after that 88 season, Don retired and went into broadcasting. 23 seasons as a player and then another 30 or so as a broadcaster. He has a pretty amazing legacy. We've talked about compilers of statistics and whether the Hall of Fame is for greatness or longevity. Don Sutton was... Mr. Dependable. And I think that there is something to be said for that in the Hall of Fame. He had a career record of 324 wins versus 256 losses. He's one of only 10 pitchers to attain 300 wins and 3,000 strikeouts. But he never won a Cy Young or a World Series. He only won 20 games once, but he won 15 games a dozen times. Overall, he's tied for 14th in career wins with Nolan Ryan and ranked 7th in strikeouts. He never wanted to be a superstar or the highest paid player. All he wanted was to be appreciated for the fact that he was consistent, dependable, and you could count on me. And for Don Sutton's career, I don't know if there is anybody in baseball history who was as consistent and dependable on the mound as Don Sutton. He also made a point in his Hall of Fame induction speech when he was inducted in 1998 to talk about the importance of his dad and his dad's work ethic. And he said that he grew up in an atmosphere where if you didn't work, you didn't eat. He saw his dad working 10, 12 hours a day, and it made the effort that he was putting in on the baseball field seem very easy in comparison. Don in the early 2000s uh, suffered from kidney cancer and and recovered from that after having his kidney removed. However, in recent years, cancer reemerged, and he passed away at home on January 19th at the age of 75. He passed away just a few weeks after Tommy Lasorda. And, you know, Tommy gave his life to the Dodgers. And as we talked about on that episode, he bled Dodger blue until his death. Don's situation was a little bit more complicated. He said, I believe in loyalty. I'm the most loyal pitcher that money can buy. 
<laughs> but but for a very long time, he was very important to the Dodgers and was a huge part of those Dodger teams that that gave Tommy his start as well. Two Dodger legends passing both uh, in the last few weeks. We should also mention the third baseball legend to have passed in the last few weeks. And that is just in the last few days before this recording, uh, the death of Hank Aaron, the third Hall of Famer to pass away in the first month of 2021. Uh, Yeah, I I feel like as a baseball podcast, we would be remiss if we did not talk about the greatness of Hank Aaron. And I wish that he had a card in this set so that we could have a two hour long episode to talk about Hank Aaron. But this was much like Don Sutton, another guy who saw baseball as an escape from poverty. Hank faced racial prejudice and abuse throughout his career. There were threats to his life as he chased Babe Ruth's home run record. And all that harassment came just for him doing exactly what he was supposed to do on the baseball field, being great while being black in America. And Hank Aaron said that he never wanted anyone to forget Babe Ruth. He just wanted them to remember Hank Aaron. And I think that we have a tendency, and we've seen this over the last week, last few days since the death of Hank Aaron, that stories get forgotten almost immediately. We tend to water down legacies and rewrite history in a way that is more comfortable for us to address. We had Martin Luther King Day recently, and his name gets thrown around when talking about the right way to fight against racism and oppression. And glossing over the radical Martin Luther King, who was feared by so many in government for the radical ideas that he was presenting and the radical equality that he was uh, that he was expressing. And those same government forces will later celebrate his birth and talk about him as a peaceful advocate. And that's because in death, he's no longer viewed as a threat. In recent years, Hank Aaron became this grandfather of baseball and everybody loves Hank Aaron and he should be and when he died everyone there were a lot of um, statements talking about his grace and his dignity in ignoring the threats he wasn't ignoring threats he wasn't ignoring racism he was overcoming racism and he was overcoming those threats and we shouldn't ignore that he lived with grace and dignity and decency and was exceptionally decent. But uh, we just we can't ignore that he had justified anger at a system that was oppressing people and a system that he did everything right to succeed at. And it still disrespected him. And I think it's important for us to remember that this that that just Hank Aaron's existence and his greatness was a threat to white supremacy. And that he was so good for so long and, uh, and continued to overcome uh, and continued to speak out about racism in America and recently said we still have a long way to go. And that the difference is that back then the racists had hoods. Now they have neckties and starched shirts. And um, yeah, we'll remember Hank and I think that we were lucky to live in the same world as Hank Aaron. And it's a better one having had him in it. Yeah, I really, I think your point's a very good one that when Hank Aaron is being complimented for his grace and dignity, it overlooks the fact that 
someone in his position as a black man who is succeeding in America had to show grace and dignity or else would not have been given any chance at all. So very good points. And so for these three, these three souls that have passed on in the last several weeks for Don Sutton, for uh, Tommy Lasorda, for Hank Aaron, rest in peace, to all three. And we want to thank Brian uh, for joining us on the RBI corner. David, thank you for, uh, for this story about Don Sutton. So we know this has been a long episode. We've covered a lot from three legends to the match game. So I guess all what I would have to say is if, if you still have a crush on Betty White, we would love to hear from you. You can find us on Twitter at Tops1988. You can also find us on Facebook. Just search for the 1988 Tops podcast on facebook.com. You can also email us, 1988topspodcast at gmail.com. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next week.